Hello and good afternoon. Uh, my name is Nico Heller. This is Reboot 2030, the Democracy Schools YouTube channel. My guest today is Aida Martinez Tino. She's a data analyst from Spain, from Catalonia, in fact. And uh, she she's joining us today because she's working on a rather exciting project. She's uh, involved in preparing for the launch of a universal basic income pilot scheme. That's a mouthful. Um, and when I first heard about this, I was really rather excited. Um, it um, there've been a number of pilots. You know, I believe there's been one in Finland. Um, in fact, uh, here in Berlin, where I'm based, they were trying to push for a pilot uh, earlier this year, but they failed at the at the early hurdle. They didn't actually manage to get enough signatures to have a even a referendum to decide whether to be have a pilot or not. So uh, it didn't happen. It. Universal basic income seems to be something that some people are really very enthusiastic about, but the vast majority of people, including most mainstream politicians, do seem to reject it. Um, I guess part of the idea is, is that under universal basic income, people get something for nothing. It takes away the incentive to work uh, and it essentially makes people lazy and uh, complacent. Now, a lot of people, including a lot of academics, have been doing serious research on the subject to disagree. Um, they feel it, or they believe strongly, and evidence seems to be backing this up, um, that far from making people lazy, it actually frees people up. It opens up spaces, opportunities for a different kind of work, um, and it uh, takes away this existential fear, anxiety um, of basically falling through the cracks. Of course, it also would do away with an awful lot of bureaucracy because all the means testing that's going on with most uh, social security uh, uh, systems eats up an awful lot of resources, resources that could be deployed much more effectively and productively uh, in other ways. Now, these are the kinds of arguments that people are putting forward, but somehow don't seem to be getting, uh, getting anywhere with it. My take on this is somewhat different. Um, I do think that universal basic income is, actually, I do believe it's the future. For me, it's, I don't so much link it to, um, to social security or to, um, to welfare. I link it to the future of work. For me, there seems to be a fundamental contradiction. On the one hand, we are all in favor of digitalization. We also agree that digitalization is essentially about automation of work. In its final consequence, it's about automating work out of the equation. The good old production function, capital plus labor equals production, then becomes reduced to capital equals uh, production. Uh, now, of course, if digitalization is going to advance uh, in any meaningful way, more and more high-skilled people are going to lose their jobs. Um, and... Um, people with analytic skills, with diagnostic skills, a lot of process. I mean, there is, we're not too far away from a fully automated car factory, for example. So hundreds of thousands of workers that today still work in car factories may no longer be needed. Now, of course, there's a huge contradiction here. On the one hand, we want digitalization, and this is very much the gospel that politics preaches. On the other hand, we actually haven't got a solution for what we're going to do with all the uh, the labor, 
all the productive forces that have been freed up through it. And in my belief, in my view, um, the universal basic income can make a massive, can, a very viable contribution here. It somehow, it, it sort of solves that solves that problem. Um, it would free up industry to allow industry to to digitalize radically fast and become more competitive, more efficient, far more productive that way, without actually creating a conundrum where more and more people lose their jobs and are being unemployed and essentially, you know, have to fear about their existence. So for me, um, universal basic income is not so much linked to welfare, not so much linked to social security, although that comes into it. For me, it's far more linked to the future of work, to the future of production and to the kind of the economy of the future. Um, of course, when people are freed up, to do other things other than having to engage in labor. Um, they might also start to think about the really big problems we face, problems to do with climate change, problems to do with the mass extinctions of species, uh, problems to do with war, problems to do with all kinds of complex issues that at the moment we simply haven't got the bandwidth. Uh, to, to, to really fully engage with. So, so for me, this idea of universal basic income really comes as a package with a new way of organizing, organizing life, organizing work, but also with really a new definition of what work in the future might look like and what it might be. So um, having said all of these things, instead of trying to set the scene a little bit, I can see that Aida is actually already here in the waiting room. So let me invite her in and uh, let me say hello to her. Now, um, I have already said she uh, works in Spain. Hi, there you are. Can you see me? Hello. Hi, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank um, you for me. Aida, I have said a very few words about my own take on, um, on, 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 on the universal basic income. And essentially, the, the kind of line of argument that I'd like to develop, because there is a sort of a social justice argument that sort of says, well, um, it, it would it would essentially kind of provide people with a kind of a, a, a very secure basis from which they can operate. It would kind of do away with the humiliation that people experience at job centers and through other kind of means tested uh, uh, social security schemes. Now, linked to that argument, of course, in my view is very often the counter argument, well, people would be getting something for nothing and it would breed laziness. And there's a whole set of arguments that in a sense kind of justifies the means testing and the current status quo. I want to go into a different direction today, and I want to look at, you know, sort of to think to, to think really from scratch in a way to sort of say, well, on the one hand, we have things like digitalization, which is driving productivity, which is driving efficiency across industry, and it is it is one of the main gospels our politicians preach, you know, to really drive. But of course, one very fundamental of digitalization is automation. That is very much the idea. So the, the very idea, the, the, the very basic production function of capital plus labor equals production kind of gets reduced to capital equals production and labor somehow falls out of the equation. And so in a way, a universal basic income is engaging with that very contradiction. And instead of saying, well, yeah, we can wholeheartedly engage with digitalization and the automation of work, but we have to, in a way, create a new social contract that takes account of the kind of 
the massive labor force that is freed up. And we're not just talking manual labor or repetitive labor, the way we talked about the first and the second wave of industrialization. Here we talk about highly skilled labor. We're talking about people with diagnostic skills. We're talking people uh, with analytic skills, you know, uh, traders at merchant banks, just as much as doctors who may in the future not be needed so much anymore because patients might get automated sort of diagnostics through call centers. So, so there is a, a massive uh, problem building up. On the one hand, we have digitalization that promises massive efficiency gains through the kind of combination of AI, artificial intelligence and information technology and so forth. On the other hand, we really don't know how to square that with a labor pool, which wants to continue to work. So rather than linking um, the universal basic income as it's traditionally done to social security and welfare, at which point it kind of becomes almost like something, a privilege, something that we give to people who can basically manage their own lives, but not to those who can. Uh, we take it away from there and so say, well, actually, what we are looking, in my view, looking at is a new social contract a new social contract that redefines what we understand by work, because there's many kind of forms of work that at the moment are not accounted for. Uh, a, a new social contract that sort of says, no, you're not gonna fall through the cracks if we if we very aggressively digitalize. Uh, and a new social contract that says, we really have to think about the relationship between work and play, between family and work, between employer and employee, and between state and citizen. And in a way, to, to, to think about the universal basic income within that context, to me, takes away this whole thing about getting something for nothing. Um, and um, so, but, so, so this is roughly basically why I would like to see whether we can, in a way, gain some insight from what you're planning to do uh, in, in, in Spain, whether we can gain some insight from that, how that can actually drive or help to drive a sort of an economic agenda that helps us also to redefine what we understand by work and that helps us to redefine the relationship between a citizen and state. Um, so um, so let's so let's let's start at the beginning. You are you're, you're quite a broadly educated person and in fact you've got quite a technical background. Uh, I know from your CV that you have a, a degree in philosophy, politics and economics. That's a, a, a very solid kind of grounding, but then you went on into something much more technical than that. Uh, you're very much into sort of the kind of the field of analytics. Can you tell me very briefly what, you know, a little bit about where you came from and how that, how, how did your educational journey kind of developed? Yeah, so um, I was always interested in social issues. So I found that these degrees, uh, philosophy, politics and economics was really interesting for me to understand broadly what um, some problems were in the world. But also I happened to find that maybe I was lacking some of the um, practical ways of objectively knowing the effects of some things or, or the inexistence of effect of some, of some other things. And that's why I was interested uh, in, in that analysis and this more technical approach to social sciences. To, to implement this causal inference in, in different aspects that I find interesting. So, uh, so that obviously, um, because it's interesting, you then ended up working for the Office of the Pilot Plan for the Implementation of the Universal Basic Income. I believe you're based in Barcelona, is that correct? Yes, uh, we the office uh, to implement the pilot plan 
in it's in the Catalan government. We are physically in Barcelona, but we work for the Catalan government. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 your role is to it's it's you presumably you're working within a team and people have different different functions. Yeah. How did how did how was this? Because in I, I remember you were kind of on a panel in Berlin, in not in Berlin, but a Berlin panel where you yeah. were talking about the Berlin kind of attempt to have a uh, you know a pilot, and of course that didn't go anywhere. Um, but um, I, I thought that was very interesting. Um, and, and you kind of could you just explain? Um, in what way your pilot kind of has started from a different starting point than the Berlin attempt? Yeah, so yes, just uh, to summarize, our office is not very big. We are just seven people and each of us is specialized in different areas. So there's an economist, there's a lawyer, then there's me, a data analyst, there's a sociologist and and so on. And we were invited in Berlin because they were um, they were getting trying to get enough signatures in order to implement a pilot plan there in Berlin, um, similar to what we are implementing, designing to implement in Catalonia. The main difference between their design and our design is that uh, ours is fully funded by the government and theirs were, was not. Theirs was a, a civil society movement. And it was very, there were people very encouraged by the pilot plan and the UBI, of course. But obviously, there's more difficulties when you are not backed and funded by the government. Because, for example, the office in Catalonia, we are finding not not few uh, difficulties but still since we are like the institution we are able to negotiate uh, to talk with different agents and to talk with different public administrations something that they were not able to do and well we were invited there because uh, they wanted us to explain what we were going to do in Catalonia in order to maybe uh, convince some some people to to sign for the referendum. Now, my understanding is that, generally speaking, there's sort of two ways of, I mean, first of all, you obviously have to decide on, you know, what catchment area you include. Is it, is it a city or is it, is yeah. it like a, a country? And once you've made that decision, you don't have to decide of, oh, is it smaller than a city? Is it just a small community? And so you have to, to make those, you know, how you calibrate your sample. Um, and you also, of course, have to decide, is it going to be a random sample? Are you going to take people out of a hat? Or do you sort of say, well, we're going to take everybody in a particular area? Um, how did you go about deciding how to calibrate your sample? Who's going to be involved? Because, of course, I mean, from a kind of a citizen point of view, I'd love to be like, you know, in your sample. Sure. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, so how did you go about um, deciding who was going to be in and who was not? Yeah. So there's different items that i want to explain a little bit in order for everyone to be able to understand the design because it's a little bit uh unusual uh comparing it to other pilot plans but uh we believe it's a really good design in order to understand what happens when the ubi is implemented so first of all we were very interested in understanding what happens with the universality part of the universal basic income right because in many pilot plans there has been uh, an interest in testing what happens to the individuals when the UBI is implemented but an, a really important part of this policy is that it should be universal as it uh, 
if theoretically. So we wanted to know what should happen. Obviously, it's impossible to test universality because, because you couldn't be able to implement a pilot plan. You should be implementing the, the public policy directly. So the only way to know what would happen with universality is to implement the pilot plan, not to random individuals, but to a, a community. So we wanted to understand more about universality in that part. Also, we wanted to know uh, and understand more thoroughly what happens in, in a household. Because as you said before, I find it very interesting. Um, what There's different types of work or jobs, let's say. There's the, the jobs that are being paid, that you can be paid for and some other jobs that um, uh, sadly, you're not paid for. And this usually happens intra-household. So we wanted to understand what happens with uh, gender relationships and maybe um, redistribution of power in, in the household and stuff like that. So th those are two main things that we wanted to test. So in order to do so, we managed to find a design that we were, we were very um, happy with. So we will be testing, we will be giving the UBI to 5,000 people around Catalonia. Um, it may not sound like a lot to some people, but it's actually a really big pilot plan. It's one of the most, uh, one of the largest pilot plans in the world. So these 5,000 people, we will divide them into. So from the main sample being 5,000 people, we will get two samples. So two, 2,500 people with one design or one experiment, as you want to say it, and 2,500 people on the other part of the design. So the first design will be focused on understanding what happens with universality, right? So we have chosen um, two municipalities that in total, they, they have a population of uh, around 1,200 uh, inhabitants each. Uh, we are aware that they are, they are not very big in order to be able to say what would happen with UBI in Barcelona, for example, but um, we have the constraints that a pilot plan has for its, uh, because it's a pilot plan, right? Um, and also, these are really these are small municipalities, but they represent 40% of the population of Catalonia and 90% of municipalities in Catalonia. So, so let's just okay, that's, let's point. So, so um, you you pick two uh, municipalities, uh, yeah. um, and each has 1,250 roughly. So to, together, they're the no. two and a half. No, no, these two municipalities has a half a 1,200 population more or less each. So yeah, that's we right. have yes, that, that's right. So, so that's exactly so. And, um, and, uh, um, and, and they, you, you basically pick municipalities that are in a way represent in, in their makeup representative of Catalonia. So in terms of yeah. men to women, old people to young people, what, what kind of, yeah. Well, what kind of demographic factors did you look for to sort of say this is reflective of Catalonia? Yeah, so we wanted to make sure that because we are also very interested in what happens with public services, right? When an entire community receives the UBI, we believe that it should have a really strong effect 
on public services, especially on health services and social services. So we, we found uh, two municipalities with variables that represent more or less what happens in, the, in, in Catalonia with um, uh, social services users, number of social services users, number of hospitalizations, also, we want to uh, we 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 checked for the um, graduation tax for uh, high school, and also we we checked for the um, uh, mean incomes and yeah unemployment like the, the typical. Well, well, yeah, well, uh, one question here. Um, there's sort of two kinds of statistics that I would be quite curious to see how they develop. One is sort of related to hate. So related to racism, related to homophobia, related to, to hate crime, uh, to xenophobia. Um, are you tracking that? That's the one question related to hate crime. And the other one to, related to domestic violence. What happens mm -hmm. in terms of violence in the household? I'm, such, I'm, I'm naming those two because uh, intuitively I always think that when people are under severe stress, um, that they then perceive, you know, like enemies where there may not be any, or they might mm -hmm. kind of overreact or might react in a more, in a more aggressive manner towards their partner or whatever. So I wonder whether these statistics you kind of been looking at as well. Yeah, totally. Um, but I mean, we are going to look for these and so many other outcomes, but um, we have, we still have the other part of the experiment that I didn't have time to explain. So apart from these two municipalities, which is in total 2,500 people receiving the UBI, we will have another 2,500 people um, chosen randomly around the entire territory of Catalonia. And this, um, there's an innovative way of doing that because um, as you may know, most of the pilot plans that have been conducted around the world have been RCTs, so randomized control trials, where you uh, select uh, randomly individuals around a, a, a territory. But we wanted to know what happens in intra-household, as you were just suggesting. So we um, we are going to randomize the sample by the household, not by the individual. So we will select around 1,000 um, households and the people registered in there, they will all receive the UBI. Irrespective of the age. So if they're like, like children, yeah, they will so, get a smaller UBI or how is it? Yeah, so um, the amount of the UBI, it's a really interesting part of the design that we made that we were uh, discussing it for a long time. But we ended up thinking that uh, since there's, I mean, the universal basic income should be basic in the sense of, we believe, um, fulfilling the basic material needs in order to, uh, to survive. So we said, okay, uh, it makes sense that our amount of money for the pilot plan should be close to the poverty threshold. So um, during the pilot plan, virtually, there should, shouldn't be anyone that is actually poor, if, if it makes sense. So uh, in Spain, it's around 800 euros a month for an adult. So the amount of money that will be given for the pilot plan will be 800 euros a month for each adult and 300 euros a month for uh, underage uh, people. Okay. But the, the, 
it, it doesn't, I, I mean, we, we don't care if uh, it's a newborn baby or if it's 17 years old. So you have, you have so what you have, you've basically got three samples, if I understand. You've got um, two samples of 1,200 roughly uh, 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 members each. That's roughly your two and a half thousand. And you've got another sample, you know, like, um, you said a thousand households, which is again amounts yeah. to about two and a half thousand uh, people. So that's your your five thousand sample. But do you yeah. have any? Um, because of course the two communities you're picking with the uh, the, the twelve hundred one thousand two hundred inhabitants. Mm -hmm. um, do you have? Do you use like control samples for that as well? Yeah. That you would have an extra two uh, communities uh, in mind. Yeah. Yeah, so on the part of the randomized sample, uh, we obviously have a control group, which would be actually 1,000 households, and more or less the same in everything, but uh, they will not receive the UBI. So the differences that we may observe will be um, because they um, they receive the UBI. But on the other part, on the part with two municipalities, um, there's also an innovative way of controlling the the counterfactual there um, because we we found that there was really low statistical power if we wanted to just get two or three more municipalities in order to control it so what we found is that it was uh, suitable to do an innovative method called synthetic controlled ex experiment I don't know if you've heard of it yeah but the Okay, so we are implementing it. We are actually... But maybe just explain um, it very briefly for, for, for the yeah, viewers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. We are, we are working with, um, with a researcher from the MIT. And we will... Basically, the uh, synthetic control experiment um, means that we cannot have a real counterfactual. So uh, what we do is build a, a synthetic counterfactual. How is it built? We choose different variables and indicators uh, from units that are not treated, so municipalities that are not receiving the UBI, and then with different weights and, and different importances, and depending on the importance of the indicator and the tendency, yeah, the tendency, um, the, the trends, Sorry, um, depending on the trends that have suffered these indicators from 2012, more or less, uh, you build a, a synthetic municipality, which obviously doesn't exist, but it's built from parts of real municipalities. So we will be able to control what would have happened in these two municipalities that received the UBI if they, uh, if they didn't receive it. Okay, so um, this looks like a really kind of quite a comprehensive way of sort of, if you like, looking at, you know, um, the, the statistical information that is available to you already through public sources and also through government sources, and in a way correlating that with what will happen if people receive uh, UBI. So you're sort of saying, well, we kind of know what the general statistics are, both for the population as a whole, but also for certain subsets of the population. And now that they are receiving all that, we in our sample that they're receiving the UBI, universal basic income, we can see how they behave differently, whether it benefits them in some ways, whether it's actually 
worth the investment? Is, is that roughly what, what, what you're looking for? Yeah, um, we are very interested in different effects. Uh, we believe most of them will be positive, but we are open to them not being positive because we are looking into the pilot plan with a scientific approach and an objective approach, obviously. And we want to know more things about individual effects, community effects, and intra-household effects. So individual effects go from poverty, um, inequality, um, what, what do people do with, with the money? Not because we are controlling it, because um, I don't know if I said that, but uh, from the office, we will not be controlling any of the expense. So they will be able to do whatever they want to do with it. But we're obviously interested in what they actually do with it. Maybe they start a master's degree or maybe they they reduce their um, their hours of working because they now can can spend more time with the family or otherwise maybe they spend they want to they they hire a nanny and they want to spend more time at work also um, aggregate and community effects we want to know if people start participating in the community more or maybe what happens with as i said with public services um, do the, do people go more to the hospital because they now have the time to do so or they go less because they're not so anxious as they were before for money reason. Um, they, we also want to, to know more about attitudes, values and relationships between members of the household. Also, what do people do when they get the money? Maybe they are living with someone, not because they want to, but because they have to, because they don't have enough money to go away. I'm talking about young people or maybe um, women's, uh, women that are being um, abused, um, stuff like that. And to do so, we are going to conduct several surveys during the pilot plan. We're conducting one survey before everyone receives the first payment in order to know where, where we come from. And a second survey, once, um, once there's been one year, one entire year of payments, because these payments will be for two years, so 24 months of 800 euros a month. And, and there, there will be a third and a, four, a third survey conducted at the end of the experiment. And then a last one, six or seven months after it has finished in order to know if some of the effects last or they don't, they do not last once the money is, is kept away. I mean, you could, being sort of the devil's advocate, you could argue that, of course, more money is going to make you happier, especially if you're on a low income. So there is always going to be that. Uh, and, but of course, cynics would say, well, that's why you should go and work harder and earn more. You know, that's that's the very much the incentive that 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 often is sort of like mentioned for people to work harder or to, to work at all. Um, now, are you looking at the, the the cost side as well, the cost to the government um, in, in terms of what the savings, if you like, not on the side of households, but on the side of government and service providers, um, you know, how that might affect services and, 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 and that side of it. Are you looking at that too? Yeah, um, just a little bit of explaining what you said at the beginning. Um, I think it's interesting when people think that people, poor people, I mean, with a pilot plan, obviously poor people would be uh, better off than middle-class people because they will be 
um, having a, a larger effect, right? But it's interesting that some people think that with a UBI, poor people will not work, but or will not have in enough incentives to work. But with the benefit, so a social benefit system that we have nowadays, the poor people receiving social benefits, they actually can't work. So we are okay with that nowadays, but we we are not okay. Uh, they choosing not to work in a in a That's right. That's right, but there is this kind of, isn't there? there, there is this kind of idea that the social services, uh, the kind of the, the advisors in the job centers are essentially trying to incentivize people to, to find work by putting them onto training schemes by all yeah. kinds and also by obviously offering them jobs. And if they don't take them, that then they receive less money. So, so there's a way of, you know, there's both penalties and there's rewards. So, and this kind of, system of managing the unemployed somehow seems to kind of you know seems to be what what what, what most people would want to see um now um my question is is like i i think i find I, i'm a total support of universal basic income although i have seen a number of these now taking place of the the, the, the pilots and i haven't really seen much of a shift in kind of in political awareness. For example, in Germany, you would expect that the social democrats, at least, would be in favor of it, but they aren't because the unions are really not in favor of it. Uh, and uh, and so there's so there's there's even on the left, there's a lot of you know sort of resistance to it. And of course, on the right, there's resistance anyway. So it's very hard to see how this. Um, now, when you put this forward. Um, you know, when, when I believe this was actually done, initiated by your president, wasn't it? It was like it came right from the top, didn't it? The idea to have. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, there is not a clear ideology for the UBI. So there are there are even some proposals for the UBI that come from a more neoliberal approach that, uh, the, for example, the office that I work for, we are for a progressive way of thinking, the UBI, not a neoliberal one. Um, yeah, the idea of the pilot plan came from the very top of the government. It was a, an agreement that came from a small party with the, uh, with the government party in order to, um, to let them present the, the, the president, right? So, um, I would say that a really strong argument for the UBI or at least for the pilot plan that we are using because um, there's actual simulation, economic simulations that um, back this argument is that it would be more actually more efficient for the, for the state or the government because nowadays with the social um, benefit system, since there's so many criteria to meet, and the process to be able to get a social benefit is so, so long. And there's so many things you need to be checking, not, not only when uh, you, um, people are asking for a benefit, but also when they have been granted one. Um, there's so many workers that are only be able to um, manage this kind of documents and it's pure bureaucracy. Um, they are not able, like, for example, we talk with several social workers and they always tell us we are not able to do our work, our job, 
because we are focused on conducting and, and dealing with emergencies, people not being able to eat for a month, people not being able to pay for electricity and stuff like that. So for example, the UBI would prevent social workers to do everything that they're doing now because there's no criteria. You don't have to apply for the UBI but because it's given to every citizen because it's not something you have to work for. It's a right you get because you are a human being in a, in a territory with the UBI as a public policy. And these social workers will be able to do many different things that they're not able to do now, like uh, orientation, uh, family work, so many different things that they are not doing, not because they don't want to, but because they don't have time to do so. Also with, um, with health services, um, the statistics about, uh, uh, now I don't quite remember the exact number and I don't want to risk myself in, in saying something that is not actually true, but the statistics about anxiety in Spain, uh, it's so, 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 um, I mean, it's a really profound and deep problem here that obviously we don't know what, how many anxiety uh, problems are related only to money um, problems or not to money problems. But um, with the COVID-19 uh, crisis, there was a, uh, an increase of anxiety problems, um, obviously related to people not being able to work, so not being able to get any kind of income and we believe that people should be able to be maybe not relaxed but uh be they should be able to go to sleep uh relaxed knowing that they at least they know they they are able to to feel the the fruit or they are able to pay for electricity especially in a context that we are living with the ukraine war the economic crisis that we're living in and everything that is going on. So in, in, in summary, I would say that even though it seems that it's a really large expense from the state, it's actually not because the, the amount of expense that we are um, focusing right now with social benefits that are not actually getting people that are needing them. So the problem of non-take-up, um, it's a problem that it's not only happening in Spain, but also in every other country in Europe. People meeting the criteria and not, not uh, asking for the social benefits. Now, um, by calling it a pilot, and, and I believe most schemes of that kind have called it a pilot. So I guess it's just what people call it. But uh, in all other contexts, a pilot suggests that there is a intention to do the real thing if certain criteria or conditions are met. So if I build a, like an airplane or apply a pilot thing and it, it flies, then I will build the real thing. Um, and there's some criteria that, that I would apply, rigorous criteria that say, well, if we can achieve X, Y, and Z, if this assumption holds, if this assumption holds, then the pilot succeeded and then we're going to go ahead with the real thing otherwise in my view it wouldn't really be a pilot but it would be what i would call an experiment and there's you know there's no strings attached to the experiment you know you know and, and there's no follow-through on the experiment but with a pilot the assumption always seems to be that this is kind of the spearhead of what is to follow you know this is at the that, that there is a sort of now how is this in uh, in, in catalonia uh, is this 
a pilot in that sense that you have been that somebody sort of said to you well if you can prove to us that this makes sense we'll do it or is this sort of say well let's see what happens i mean what what are the kind of what is the actual sort of mm. state of play to what extent is it an experiment and to what extent is it a pilot hmm. so it's very interesting what you're saying um there wasn't any challenge as you said like okay if you can prove that ubi works we will implement it because uh as you may know in catalonia there are um, there's a fragmented political context. So there are um, a lot of parties right now. And in order to implement a UBI, there should be a strong majority for it. What, what we were asked for is to test the effects of, uh, of the UBI on the individual level and on a community level in order to, to give to the political debate objective uh, and scientific arguments. Because right now, um, obviously the UBI, the, the case for UBI is a really ideological one, right? Especially when we are talking about, about a very specific approach, which is uh, a progressive um, UBI approach. There, it's, it's ideological, but we, we were asked to test if things are true or are not true. So for example, you know that almost everyone, when you talk about UBI, almost everyone would say, so people would get lazy and people would stop um, working. That's, that's very dangerous for our country and stuff like that, mm -hmm. right? So what we will be, one of the things that we will be um, able to do with our pilot plan is to say, okay, that's actually true or that's actually not true. Because what we find that um, sometimes lacks in the political debate around UBI, it's actual facts. And if actual facts are in the parliament and then still some, some parties are still against it, it's okay. It's, we are living in a democracy, but then the arguments should be stronger because they will not be supported by objective facts. So, um, I mean, it's, you, you must know the situation. You've got a bicycle to sell and people come along, they look at the bike. Some people are really bargaining. They, you get a sense that they actually would buy it at the right price. And other people, they've already settled on another bike. And, and they're just basically, they're just there because, well, you're on, on route to the next kind of thing. So, um, and with UBI, I very often have, sort of, have this sort of sense that whilst these pilots do happen, almost, almost like a box ticking exercise. Um, I, you know, the, the question is how serious are these people in terms of actually buying your results or scrutinizing them? I mean, I have been involved in, sort of, you know, social research myself in the past. And I've experienced it very often that you have to do the research because in fact, in many areas, it's, you know, actually it's, it's it, this legislation that mandates, you know, planning or whatever that you do the research. Um, but ultimately people already made their mind up. And it's, do you have a sense that there is an actual, that there's an actual bargain to be struck or do you have the sense that you're at the very beginning of this process? Because I mean, um, we just had a, a social security reform in Germany. You have this thing called Hartz-Fear, which is a, a sort of, well, a means-tested system that's built on 
rewards and penalties. Uh, and this was brought in under, uh, under Schroeder, a social democrat back in, in uh, 12 years ago. Um, and in, I think in 2008 or nine, I mean, I'm not sure when, a long time ago. And it's basically survived. And uh, the social democrats basically decided when they kind of got reelected last autumn that they're eventually finally going to get rid of Hart's fear, that they're going to do away with the penalties, the sanctions, as they call them here. That you've been sent to. And, and of course, now it's kind of basically, and they call it now Bürgergeld, which means as much as citizens' money. And they've moved to a much more, much nicer term. It's no longer called unemployment benefit or social security, it's called citizens' money. It's, oh, it almost sounds like uh, universal basic income, but it's not because all the penalties are still there, all the sanctions are still there. All they have done is they've adjusted it for inflation and they've added a, you know, a few bells and whistles and have given job centers much more leeway in terms of helping people into jobs. Uh, so mm -hmm. they now can sort of say, well, there's a job at the call center. You should really take this. And if you don't, we're going to cut your benefits. Now, this is but this is after the Social Democrats had promised that they're going to do away with the sanctions regime. And they kind of basically caved in and there wasn't much political resistance to keeping the old system. And there isn't so much of a big outcry in the general populace either. So, you know, and this is a million miles away from a universal basic income. I mean, the, even this, the idea of doing away with sanctions would not have been a universal basic income at that stage, but it would have been sort of halfway house. But now they're fully pulled back to the old sanctions regime. Um, and you kind of wonder, what kind of learning has happened in the last 10, 12 years? As you said, on behalf of the cost, the social cost of these regimes, uh, you know, the, the kind of the, the inefficiency of these regimes, you know, the, the way you sort of said that social workers spend their time on helping people to fill in forms and firefighting rather than doing like much more important work that they simply haven't got the time for. So there mm -hmm. seems to be a the, 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 the time, the clock seems to be turning back in Germany. And I wonder, um, I wonder whether a similar trend might be sort of noticeable across Europe. I'm not, I know that in the UK, for example, where I've lived many years, that you know the, the 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 social security system has been sort of like you know rolled back more and more and more and more and become harder and harder and harder. You know, um, so I, I wonder. I mean, somehow what you're doing in 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 Catalonia kind of goes against the trend, and I'm just really quite curious to see how much political will there is to kind of follow through with this, or whether you kind of are building a white <laughs> elephant. Yeah, so obviously there are so there's different opinions from different parties and also within parties there's people for UBI or people I wouldn't say against UBI but not so convinced by UBI. But the thing is that um as I said the office was created in order to conduct this pilot plan. Not, not anything else. But one thing that I could say is that I, I believe there's a, a broad majority agreeing that the actual social benefit system is um, maybe no, no I, I, I wouldn't say it's not working, but it has uh, flaws, and they have to be solved. So some people think that the actual social system should be improved, and some people believe that it should be changed into our UBI approach. So what we believe would happen will happen with the with the pilot plan um, is that 
maybe I mean there could be two different results right and I believe uh, one is better than the other one but I don't believe any of it is it's a bad result so the the result that I believe uh, would be better is that um, the uh, social majority in Catalonia were convinced that this is the way to go it's as you said, we live in a digitalized um, uh, labor force and more and more every day and there will not be enough jobs for everyone. That's an actual fact. So we should go for the UBI and with a social majority knowing this, maybe um, it translates in a political um, majority uh, uh, going for it. But even though it might not be the case, um, another result that would be not as positive, but I would be thinking that it would be still be positive, is that it should be helping to improve the actual social system because maybe it helps to some social benefits that actually exist right, right now. Maybe it would help in order to cut off some of the criteria or maybe um, let people work while they are still receiving the social benefit because otherwise that's another way of saying okay you are poor and we want you to still be poor because otherwise uh you would not receive the money so yeah i would say that we have two different results ahead i would prefer the first one of course and the office would prefer the first one but if not um, we believe that the effects and the impact of the pilot plan will not be um, zero. It and they will be helping some some to improve some of the social benefits that we have right now. Now, clearly, you have a uh, like a political audience for for your pilot research um, in in Catalonia. Um, do you have audiences outside of Catalonia? In other words. The, the, the government in Madrid, are they looking at this with some interest uh, or how, what's the kind of, how does that kind of, how is that seen? And also like as far as the European Commission is concerned and, and Europe as a whole, because I think there's a sort of a, a European kind of learning opportunity there as well. And not just at the European level, but also at a kind of a sort of a, a bilateral level, like places like Germany or France or indeed Scandinavian countries who might be thinking about it. Um, do you have uh, some kind of network, and do you kind yeah. of uh, how do you how do you how do you promote the the, the outcomes? Yeah. So right now, especially all of the of the members of the office, but especially the head of the office, Sergi Ravantos, he's uh, traveling a lot uh, to different countries in order to um, communicate what we try to do. Communi communicate about the idea of the UBI and why and why pilot plans are important in order to to understand what happens with these kind of policies and also universal policies that are a kind of policies that we don't know much about and about Madrid uh, obviously they are interested but just I mean a lot of people is interested in the pilot plan in Catalonia but um, I wouldn't say that Madrid institutionally is interested in Catalonia. Maybe they end up conducting a pilot plan in the future. I don't know. They are implementing different pilot plans of other things. But uh, for example, the party that is in the government in Catalonia, it's, it also has representation in the Congress in Madrid. 
which is Esquerra Republicana. And they obviously are very interested in what we're doing and they, I'm sure they will speak out for us. And also on the Euro European Parliament, um, Esquerra Republicana also has uh, representatives and they will be speaking out and promoting what we're doing. And also the head of, of the office will be traveling to the European Parliament in order to explain what we're trying to do. And uh, maybe- just, just purely at a technical level, would it be would it be constitutionally possible for Catalonia to have a universal basic income and the rest of Spain not to have it? Because in, I believe in Germany, for example, this is done at a federal level. So um, Berlin just couldn't. Ha I mean, this is the other thing. Berlin couldn't just have a universal basic income. Uh, it would have to be a federal decision, and then all states in Germany, federal states, would have to have it. Um, you know, uh, how is it in Spain? Could you just have yeah. a regional universal basic income? Um, I honestly, I'm not honestly so sure about the constitutional part. I believe we would be able to have it, but the difficult part for Catalonia to have a UBI is not the constitutional one, it's the, the funding one. Because the thing is that, um, at least for the model that we want the UBI to be in Catalonia, if hypothetically speaking, um, we would have to, to make a progressive tax reform. So in order to do this progressive tax reform, we would need the, the state uh, acceptance and, and negotiation. So that would be the difficult part. It's not impossible, but... The... This is a really interesting point you're mentioning there. And this is, you know, uh, I, I mean, this would probably be an, an, another discussion, but I think it's really good that you, that you mention it. This is the sort of the... The, the income side, if you like, the tax, because yeah. I mean, this is, you know, you, in, in my view, you can't really talk about the, a fundamental sort of reform of the, the social security, the welfare side of it, without talking about tax reform. The sure. two really are so closely linked. And of course, on the taxation side, at the moment, what we find is, is that the things that are really taxed primarily are income, in other words, mm -hmm. labor, um, and consumption, like through value added tax and so forth, you know, you know, like a sales tax. Um, mm. they, they are the main source of income of tax. Uh, corporation tax is, you know, is, is dismal. Um, and, uh, and capital gains and capital taxes are also fairly low. And now, of course, there has been a whole debate around the Tobin tax, for example, you know, transaction taxes. Uh, yeah. there's, ta there's talk about a CO2, a so-called carbon tax, where you would be taxing, you know, like a CO2, like pollution, if you like. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, talk around a digital tax where you would be taxing processing power like bytes, bits and bytes, you know, megabytes and so on and so forth. Uh, so, so there's a whole cluster of taxes that are currently don't exist, which relate yeah. to capital and to production as opposed to labor and consumption. And, you know, it, you know, this is a really interesting kind of situation here that we have to, in a way, when we think about universal basic income, I think we also have to think about the whole restructuring of our economic you yeah. know, uh, settlement, and we have to really rethink about tax reform, and we have to think about things like the token tax or the transactions tax, digital tax, carbon tax, and so on and so forth. Um, is there a kind of a debate in Spain that kind of around these issues in relation to uh, the universal basic income, or are they sort of seen as very separate debates? Um, honestly, I would say they are very separate debates right now, but there's also uh 
um, some people from the academia that they are um, simulating how uh, real funding for the UBI in Catalonia would look like. And they are trying, they, they, for, uh, with these simulations, they're trying with this kind of taxes that, that you just listed. And, but also I want to point out that a progressive tax reform focusing on labor tax, it's still really important in my opinion. Oh yes. I, I don't know in Germany, but in Spain, um, it's not proportional at all. Like if you are on the top 5% of income earners, the proportion of the tax amount you pay, it's so small compared to if you are on the 20 bottom percent. So even though you can get obviously money from other taxes that we are not usually talking about, at least not so generally, uh, such as what you just said, um, I still believe that uh, a tax reform focusing on actually progressing it, it's really important. Not it's only like, for not only for UBI for it's really important. Except you know, I see. I think it's going to be very hard to win an election on the basis of raising taxes. Um, you know, uh, that's uh, you know, whereas you know, with things like the token tax or a digital tax, these are actually taxes that wouldn't affect the voter directly. So in terms of like sort of like sort of the constraints of a democracy in terms of it's like you know like people sort of say Turkey is voting for Christmas if people kind of vote to you know and and, and of course the, the, the people that mainly go and vote in most countries tend to be the middle class yeah um, and 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 they obviously they would be they would be hit hardest by the kind of progressive tax reform that you yeah that you'd, well, but actually, just to point out uh, the simulation that I'm talking about, it's conducted by two professors from University of Barcelona. Um, one, it's uh, one of them. He's specialized in taxes, and the other one is specialized in econometrics. And they have been simulating this funding with uh, real data. And the thing is that the most impacted people would be the top. Five ten percent people, not middle class people. So uh, yes, I agree that some kind of taxes are more friendly in a political debate, but a progressive tax reform would not necessarily be touching um, the amount of taxes that middle class or actually the majority of people are paying. I, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's not uh, for me. This is I'm just being a kind of a pragmatist in that sense that I'm thinking sure, sure. What, what would be the kind of the, the easiest way of funding it. Um, so and I totally agree that a sort of a, a progressive tax reform is absolutely and it's also like the tax reform generally too many loopholes, too many you know exceptions for this and for that. And yeah. I mean, in Germany, you know, it's like if you're a small self-employed person it's not impossible to kind of to do your tax returns without an accountant these days. It's so difficult. And because of course, every government is using tax as a way of kind of, you know, carrying favor yeah. with this constituency or that. And they, and it has made, has built layers and layers and layers of complexity into the tax system, creating a massive industry on the back of it. And of course, ordinary people, you know, can't, avoid taxes but like you know people with higher incomes they very quickly find ways of reducing their tax burden through all kinds of tax avoiding maneuvers and and, and strategies mm -hmm. um so so yes absolutely it's really important um so so a last question um and this has been really really interesting so a last question 
um, you're starting in, in the, the whole thing starts in January for good, so, and you're going to run for two years from January 23 to December 25. Is that right? Um, it will last for two years, but it will not start on January 2023. Okay. Um, because um, there was a change in the government and we are, well, not, not, not us, but the government is negotiating the budgets and stuff. So until the budget is not uh, fully, fully confirmed, we will not be able to start implementing the pilot plan, but we are, um, we are implementing it, but it's just that it will not be in January. It will be on the first semester of 2023, for sure. It'll be in the, in the first, say again in the first half. You say, yeah, yeah. But in 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 the, and it'll then run. It'll then run for two years. That's that's yeah, still yeah. that's still very much the plan. Months, yeah. Do you have um sort of like quarterly or you know biannual um sort of markers where you sort of say, well, you know, like will you release data or will you kind of produce interim reports um so that people can can follow follow you know the, the development of 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 the pilot. Yeah, as I said, we are conducting apart from a qualitative some some qualitative activities uh, in order to like focus groups and and deep uh, discussion with with several agents. Um, we will be conducting four surveys. One of them will be conducted after twelve months of the of the pilot plan being implemented, but um, we are not sure if. It should be okay to start releasing data uh, during the pilot plan because maybe it changes uh, behavior from the participants. So I believe that we will be waiting until the pilot plan has finished in order to conduct a, a, a really strong evaluation after that. So, um... Uh, so, 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 how do you? Uh, but uh, I mean, releasing information is one thing, but collecting data is another. Um, yeah. Presumably, you will, you know, participants in the pilot, they will have to fill in, you know, questionnaires, or they will have to answer at, at regular yeah. intervals. Yeah, yeah. The question, the service will be conducted um, to randomly selected participants in the pilot plan from the treatment group and from the control group, and. Yeah, we will find data from that. Also, because we don't want to risk having a low response rate on the service, and we don't want to risk maybe not finding anything about some kind of subgroups that we are interested in, such as, I don't know, young people. Maybe we don't have enough young people in order to um, to say that we had causal, causal inference there. Um, we are going to work with uh, reg uh, registers that are publicly um, published. Uh, some of them are not actually public, but they come from public administrations. And we will, we, we will um, ask the participants to sign uh, a commitment in order to us being able to enter their data, like health data or social services, stuff like that. So, even though we don't have a high response rate that we believe we will because we're going to give incentives and stuff like that, um, we will still have the registers in order to evaluate the program. Um, the people that will be taking part in, uh, in, in your study, in the pilot scheme, do they know that already? Have they, have they been informed that they will be getting that money? 
No, no, we, we haven't have the opportunity yet to, to randomize the sample. Or, I mean, um, when, when we do it, we will communicate it with, uh, with uh, a letter. So anyone that receives a letter at their house, they will be, in, they will be invited to participate in this pilot plan. That doesn't mean that they will actually participate because um, there's a criteria, just one, I mean, two criteria that they will have to meet in order to be able to be participants. One of them is um, they have to uh, be living in Catalonia because since it's a Catalan government policy or pilot plan, they need to be living in Catalonia yep. for a legal reason. Do they have to be Spanish? Do they have Spanish nationality? No, no, no. Okay. And they don't even have to have a legal status here. If they are registered in any household in Catalonia, they are um, they have the same opportunities as anyone to be participants of the pilot plan. And the other criteria is that we are excluding uh, the 10% richest people in Catalonia. And that's not an ideological criteria. It's a practical one because in a future UBI in Catalonia, as I said, there's simulations going on. Um, the 10%, at least the 10% richest in Catalonia wouldn't be, have a net UBI at the end of the year because they would be paying more taxes than, than the amount of UBI. So it didn't make sense that for the pilot plan, they, they, they were receiving it. So if you, if you receive a letter and you are on the, 10%, on the top 10% of incomes in Catalonia, uh, we will check it and you will not be able to be a participant even though you received the letter. Or if you are, if you manifest that you are not living in Catalonia, you will not be eligible to participate. But otherwise, if you, if you receive a letter, you will be um, eligible to participate. Um, I, I don't actually know this for Germany, but I, because I've spent most of my life in, in the UK, but I know it for the UK that uh, especially poorer people don't necessarily have bank accounts. How do you get the money to them? Yeah, um, we're going to try to, I mean, we need a bank, a bank account because um, it's a practical uh, reason. We are not able to conduct the pilot plan otherwise. So what we will try to do in order to prevent people not applying for the UBI just because they don't have a bank account is try to and offer our help and our services uh, to be able to help them get about a bank account. I okay. mean, so you, absolutely. So you have that. You have you have built that into your plan that if people yeah, don't, yeah, apply, yeah, 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 because that also, would be. Also, also, we are very interested in not leaving behind um, homeless people because, as I said, the randomization will be conducted with the within the households. So what happens, right, with people that are homeless and they automatically will not be able to participate in the pilot plan? Well, we were not agree with this and we wanted them to have the same opportunities. So uh, on the part of the two municipalities, which is the, part, the only part of the pilot plan that we have an opportunity, a real opportunity to help with this, uh, with people in this situation, we will talk. We, we will talk with the with the city councils and try to track 
homeless people that are maybe living there, but they're not registered there in order to then be able to receive the UBI. That's brilliant. I think that's a really, really, really nice idea. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent. So this, so this is, so, so um, uh, hopefully you're going to start, you know, in the first couple of months uh, next year, you're going to run it for, uh, for two years, 5,000 people get selected, Two and a half thousand randomly uh, at a kind of a Catalan-wide level. Two and a half thousand basically split into two distinct uh, municipalities, um, and you've got a, you're going to have a control sample to basically make sure to, to be able to kind of to analyze your data uh, rigorously. Mm-hmm. And um, and you, from what you're saying, you're not going to release any interim data. You're going to basically probably going to release data at the end. Is there any way in which you can communicate with the outside world? In about about your findings in a kind of in a general kind of way in a kind of you know anonymized kind of way or is this going to be a black box for the next two years and then it's going to be opened and then we all see uh, what, what, what the result how how you how you going to do that surely there must be enormous interest there uh, and sort of yeah. see how this goes yeah um, we're still designing it because as I told you um, the implementation is going to last. Uh, to be a little bit later than, than than we thought. So we are still thinking about what we will do with the data, if we are going to release some of it after 12 months uh, being implemented or, or, or if we will wait until the end of it. But maybe some of the preliminary data, at least more generally speaking, maybe will be released after one year of implementation. There's one point that just kind of came to mind here. Um, you sort of said, you know, that that you would be worried that it somehow would influence, you know, like if, if you would kind of release data halfway through or you would kind of, that you would kind of influence the behavior of the sample. Now, that's obviously from a sort of a purely sort of a scientific point of view, that's obviously would be a real problem. It, you know, it, it would introduce some bias or whatever. But there is something that I'm not quite, uh, that, that sort of, that comes to mind here. So it's like, if I would, implement a permanent universal basic income. One of the things I would do is I would basically run evening classes, broadcasts, you name it, what you can do with your time. So rather than just sort of saying, well, you just do whatever you want with the money, I'll just say, hey, here's an amazing opportunity. How about this? How about that? How about this? So I would actually try to inspire people to make the most of it rather than sort of stepping back. And I can, and I can see why you can't do this, but wouldn't it be in, a, in, a, in an actual real situation? Isn't that what any government, any responsible local authority would want to do is encourage people to make the best of their lives now that they have this opportunity? And shouldn't that be somehow be reflected in a, like in a, in a pilot study as well? I mean, in, a, in other words, those two municipalities that are involved, are they allowed in any way to kind of run programs of how to improve your life now that you've got the opportunity? Or do they have to just pretend as if it doesn't happen? Um, we haven't really thought about what you were um, talking about, but um, I don't have to think it uh, through more deeply. But now I don't think it's such a great idea, maybe, because, I mean... We, we don't want the, I mean, we want the pilot plan to go okay, but we are not manipulating it in order for it to be okay, if, if that makes sense. So obviously um, every government, every city council wants the best for its citizens, but it doesn't mean, I think it's a kind of a 
paternalistic way of thinking about society, right? Um, thinking that they will not know what to do with, with 800 euros a month for two years. Um, I think it's interesting enough to understand what they will do. I mean, we believe it's there. We, we don't want to think that there are better choices. I mean, um, it's equally okay if you choose to stay at home with your kids or if you choose to hire a nanny and go away and work. You know, I mean, and these conversations are bound to happen within families anyway, aren't they? People can sure. say, well, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do with that money? Uh, so that I think that that discussion is going to happen within families, no doubt. The question is, is the local NGOs, the local charities who now basically can recruit people to work uh, in environmental projects and do all this good stuff. Should they kind of do that? Should they kind of say, hey, guys, now you're getting this money. How about? And, you know, so that there's a whole economy, a, a sort of informal economy building up mm -hmm. around it, which is, of course, what you would want to see, isn't it? You would want to see people invest their time productively, constructively, you know, in, in other ways as well. And, of course, mm -hmm. there will be civil society organizations that would benefit from this and that would encourage this, too. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, you, this is a question, you know, that you, you have to probably think about, but um, I found that a really interesting question to, to what extent you would actually want to, uh, to, to, to support this, because you can think of it in terms of manipulating the sample, but you can also think about it in terms of um, making the best of a great situation, you know, um, yeah. it, it becomes manipulation at the point where you kind of, where it becomes sort of covert and where it kind of becomes... Um, you know, you know, carrot and stick. But when you have local, whatever the local gardening association basically sort of says, well, we need volunteers to help us with, you know, whatever planting flowers in the municipality, or yeah. you know, you know, or how about helping us to clean up some litter? You know, like the, the park is very dirty. How about kind of, you know, starting a, a group of volunteers who does that? And and you know, and the question is, is is this something that? that you would encourage and that you would see in a positive way or is this something that you would consider problematic i mean if it happens just naturally that is of course positive yeah but what kind of level of promotion would you consider positive and at what point would you consider it problematic i would not i was actually going to say what you just said like if it comes naturally obviously it's a really good uh, effect and obviously the office will not do anything about it but the thing is that um, in order to be able to say that the effects that we saw during the implementation of the pilot plan are due to have received the UBI for two years, we have to maintain as equally as possible the treatment and the control group. So if we are um, pushing some kind of behavior on the treatment group, just because they received the UBI, and we are not doing the same things on the control group, we will end up not knowing if the more participation, let's say to clean up the streets or environmental activities was due to having more money and also maybe more free time or whatever, or it was due to our uh, pushing nudges or uh, whatever you may put it. So I believe that anything that we encourage in a treat in the treatment group should be encouraged in the control group as well. And if not, we 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 will not be doing so. 
Okay, so, but I mean, Prince, what I, what I could foresee happening is that somebody who now is freed up to basically not just think about survival, but maybe think about the environment or think about other yeah. aspects of social life and decides, hey, I'm going to use it. I'm going to make a startup. I'm going to start a new NGO. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going yeah. to focus in my NGO on the sample, on the community, because I know that in this community, there's plenty of people like me now. Um, and do you hear what I'm yeah. saying? So it would come out of the community, but it would very much then become a promotional effort because, you know, this person would obviously know that their neighbors are in the same situation he is in or she is in. And and so so this could be a sort of a, a virtuous cycle, you know. Um, yeah, but that's actually an effect, an outcome that we are looking into. So that would be an effect because... Um, it would come, I, I think that it would come naturally because of the UBI. But one thing is that, and another thing is that, uh, because we know that these two municipalities are receiving the UBI, we invite um, uh, an NGO fair uh, on a Sunday and they, they hey, you have a municipality where everyone is receiving 800 years a month. So you have free space. I mean, they are they are free to go there, but we will not encourage them to do stuff like that uh, from the office, just because we want to know what naturally happens without any manipulation from the office. But so, the, the example that you just uh, said, it, it would be an actual effect of the pilot plan, right? We're, so, we're looking into it. So, so do the participants uh, know uh, which sample they're in? Do they know whether they're in the sort of in the randomized sample or whether they're in the community sample? Do they know? They will. They will because if they are in the randomized sample, they will not be living in a municipality where everyone is receiving the UBI. So I mean, we as I told you, the communication will be conducted by letters receiving at uh, your house, and there they will be different. So if you are a participant from the municipality, you will receive something like. Congratulations, no, not congratulations, but um, um, municipality X will be receiving the UBI. So you live in this municipality, so you will automatically be a participant. And the other participants from the randomized sample will receive a different uh, formulation of letters. So they will obviously know if, if you live in a municipality where everyone is receiving the UBI, you will know it because the letter where you learn from it will say so. Excellent. Well, this was really, really very uh, uh, interesting. I'm, I'm very conscious of time. Um, we, as we always do, we kind of like <laughs> went on for too long, but I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Um, so um, I'd love to say come back in six or eight months time. I think we leave it open because I think you probably can't make a commitment at this point. Um, but but I will definitely send you an email, you know, like in a couple of months time and you will know whether you can actually, whether we can have another chat and also if we have another chat, how we can do this without compromising your research, because of course, I, I, this would not be in our interest either. But if there is a way in which we can kind of maintain a dialogue over the period, then I think that would be really interesting also as a historical document to sort of see how, you know, how, 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 how this develops and you know how our sort of mindset kind of shifts as a result of your experience with the uh, the, the pilot. Um, yeah, I, I was very uh, interested in explaining the the pilot plan that we have designed, and it was really interesting talking to you 
Nico. So thank you for inviting me in representation of the office. And yeah, I will be happy to keep contact uh, because uh, as you said, I cannot compromise because maybe in four months time, we will not have started the implementation yet, but I think it's important to keep in touch in order to let you know about news on the, on the implementation. Excellent. Well, Aida, thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, let's stay in touch. And um, if you have any other information that like, you would like viewers to have or to know, send me the links to, to web resources or whatever, and I'll stick it under the video so that people can click on it and they can explore sure. whatever links. Yes, if you've got uh, any, any additional okay. information that you didn't get across or that would help to understand our conversation better, please do send me the links and I'll stick it uh, under the video. Mm -hmm. I'll send you the link for the website of the Office for the Pipeline because it's also translated to English and Brilliant. some documents too. So everyone can read that. Excellent. Aida, thank okay. you very much. Thank um, you. I wish you, I wish you, uh, you know, a lovely week and um, best of luck with the pilot. It, it sounds really, really amazing. I'm so jealous that I don't live in one of those municipalities. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the future, in the future, Germany will have one too. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> okay. Aida, thank you very much. Thank you. Keep have a good up. evening. Bye-bye.